Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. I think all the messages and all the, everything in the Bible can be kind of hard-hitting, uh, especially if you're not doing the things that the Word of God says that you should be doing, and, um, and, and they should be. They should be hard-hitting. We should come to church wanting uh, God to speak to our hearts, wanting God to change us. And I think over the last couple of weeks, we've had some messages that were pretty hard-hitting. At least they were convicting to me, uh, and, and I hope they were convicting to you as well. I, wanna, I want to try to be an encouragement to you this morning. Um, somebody asked the question once, do you ever feel so low that you could spit on the floor and slide under the door? And I think that's kind of a, you know, that's a pretty humorous saying, but that's, there's a ring of truth to that. Everyone goes through ups and downs in life. Uh, that's just part of life. It's like being on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Have you ever been deep sea fishing or fishing in the ocean or something like that? We grew up right near Lake Michigan, and, um, you know, for the longest time, and my wife can tell you this too, we, I mean, we didn't go down to the Atlantic Ocean that often, but I got so used to, you know, when we would go down there, I'd call it the lake. Because Lake Michigan was so big that it literally looked like you were looking at an ocean, you know. I mean, you could not see the, uh, any land on the horizon or anything like that. And I mean, it was just a huge, huge lake. And uh, one time, uh, a neighbor of ours, he had a pretty big uh, boat, and so he took us out deep sea fishing. And uh, the, the, the funniest thing is, I'll tell you a fishing story real quick. I caught a fish that was this big, um, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, we didn't catch anything on the boat. We caught a fish at the pier, at the pier, and it was it was it was a salmon, and it was just swimming around really slowly in circles. So we t- stuck a net down there and picked it up and brought it into the boat, and that was the only fish we caught that day. But I, I just remember being out there, and and I didn't quite get sick to where I was, you know, throwing up or anything like that. But I just remember up and down and up and down, and I'm thinking, when are we ever going to get back to the to the dry land, you know? And, um, you know, I, I sometimes you see these, these, these huge ships, like these Navy ships, and they'll be out in the middle of the ocean, and it just makes it look like a little toy ship in a bathtub. You know what I mean? These waves are just so huge. And I've heard people, especially that have been in the Navy and things, tell stories about, uh, you know, just how they just get so sick because you're just, I mean, nonstop up and down and way up and way down. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just the up and down that, that sometimes just gets so nauseating. And honestly, life is a lot like that too. There's a lot of ups and downs in life to the point where you think, when is this ever just going to stop and I can get my feet back on dry ground again, you know? Uh, whether it's your marriage or parenting or ministry or a job, all of those things have good days and they have bad days. And when those bad days come, what do you do? You throw in the towel, you give up, you quit, you take your toys and go home? I hope not. Life's, life's not easy, and a smooth road was never promised to us. God never said that this road was going to be an easy road. Well, I'm a Christian. Everything should go fine for me. No, the Bible doesn't say that either. The Bible says that all things work together for our good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, but he doesn't say that it's going to be easy. So what's the solution? Life is about challenges and overcoming those challenges, and in the midst of those challenges, we must encourage ourselves in the Lord. I want to look at a couple of Bible examples here as part of our introduction. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, 
David, and uh, it, well, uh, we're not going to read the whole passage, but it says in verse number one, and it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire, had taken the women captives in, that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men, they come back to the city of Ziklag. They find out that all their wives, all their stuff is, is gone. It's been taken. And so they start to pursue these men, and, and of course, David, and, and uh, uh, he had a lot of men with him, and, and they were just, it, uh, verse number four says, David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. That's a lot of weeping. That's a lot of heartache. That's a lot of disappointment. And then, to make matters worse, these men, because they were so distressed over what happened, got to the point where they were ready to actually kill David. It says that in verse number six. David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 31. David was obviously in this situation, in the middle of a very difficult situation, but he encouraged himself in the Lord. And we see another one with Hezekiah. Hezekiah was, he had commanded the people in the area of sacrifice so that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. He says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and verse number 4. Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priests and the Levites that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. There are a lot of other passages that give uh, examples of these biblical people encouraging themselves. According to the word of God, it is possible to encourage yourself. And I know that, you know, the truth is that every person is either in the middle of a trial, you've just come out of a trial, or you're getting ready to go into a trial, whether you realize it or not. You might not even be aware that the trial is facing you head on. But what I'm trying to say is that this message this morning is for everyone, whether you realize it this morning or not. The battle is tough. Being a Christian in this world is not easy. But we know that we have to keep going forward for the cause of Christ. So what I want to share with you this morning is some ways that you can encourage yourself in the Lord. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a couple of these things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. And thank you for the fact that we have the word of God that is such an encouragement to us. God, I pray that if there is somebody that's going through difficult times, that's going through something rough, Father, we've all been through things. We're all getting ready to go through things, and some may be tougher than others. I pray that you help us by the end of this message this morning to realize that we can find encouragement in you and in the things that you've given us. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. We thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that you can encourage yourself with is your Bible. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 26. Read it or have it read to you. Uh, Several free apps, they have the, the audio version of the Bible, and you can listen to it. And, and honestly, I, I never really, uh, I, I've, I have CDs of the Bible, which of course, you know, it's hard to find a CD player anymore. Uh, but, you know, the fact, you're not going to carry a big pack of CDs with you, but everybody carries their phone, right? And you can just put that app on there. And there's a lot of different apps. If, if you need help finding one, I've got several of them that I think are actually really good apps. And they, they kind of do a dramatized version of it. I say dramatized. The, the guy that's reading it, I don't even know exactly who it is. But the guy that's reading it kind of reads it with great expression and music in the background and things. And, and it just kind of makes the Bible come alive, you know. And I, I never really thought about listening to the Bible read. I've always just read the Bible. But 
I'll be out working in the shop or something. You can turn that on. And, and you know, I've talked about this uh, just a few weeks ago about some ways that we can read the Bible. And one way that you can read the Bible that's actually very helpful is to take an entire book and read it all at the same time. It doesn't take a long time to read through some of these books of the Bible. But if you read through, instead of just reading a chapter here and a chapter there and, or taking a month to read through and read one chapter, sit down and read the entire book at the same time. And it kind of puts everything in a big perspective. It's, the Bible is a story. And it puts all of it in, this, in the perspective of the entire context of the whole book. It's a great way to do it. And one of the things that you can do is to, to have that read to you. You can be working on something. And you know, I mean, obviously, if it requires concentration, you want to pay attention to what you're doing and what you're listening to. But if it's something that doesn't require a ton of conversation, let the Bible be read to you. But the more Bible we get into us, the more, the more encouraged we can be in the Lord. There's a calming effect for our spirits that comes from reading the Word of God and having the Word of God read to you. But the Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse number 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. But what a tremendous, tremendous promise. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. That means that even when we are in the middle of a big downswing, something that we're going through that's difficult, we can still have the perfect peace in the midst of that because our minds are stayed on Jesus Christ. How do you keep your mind stayed on Jesus Christ? One of the ways is through reading the Word of God. That's, that's a great encouragement to us in the middle of a trial. Psalm 119, verse 165. You don't have to turn over there, but you know that every verse in Psalm 119 mentions something about the Word of God. It calls it the commandments, the statutes, the law. It calls it so many different things, but every verse in Psalm 119 mentions something about the Word of God. And in Psalm 119, verse 165, the Bible says this, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. But great peace, it comes from knowing and reading and studying the Word of God. I mentioned this, that, uh, you know, there's, there's so many... It, it's not just enough for us anymore to just read through the Bible. It's great to read through the Bible, but we need to study the Bible. We need to understand the Bible. We need to make sure we know that what it says. And I mentioned this is another great way to study through the Bible. I, I, I said just mind your P's and C's, right? If you find a promise in the Bible, put a P next to it. If you find a command in the Bible, put a C next to it. It's a great way to read through the Word of God. It helps you to concentrate on what you're reading. It helps you to try to understand what you're reading. We're all guilty of it, but sometimes you get up and you're, you're there in the morning or late at night and you're trying to read the Word of God and you're falling asleep and you're, oh, finally I got through that passage. Well, what did you read? Um, it was somewhere in 1 Corinthians. I, I can't remember exactly what chapter it was, but what did you get out of it? Um, don't quit. No, that's, right, that's the, that's the, that's the go-to for everything. Don't quit. But no, I mean, we're all guilty of that. Sometimes we don't study the Word of God the way that we should. Sometimes we don't pay attention when we're reading through the Word of God. So, the, some, but, but the Word of God can be a great encouragement to us. Self-help books are a dime a dozen. You can go down to Barnes & Noble right now, and they have a whole section on self-help, right? Tell you what to do to fix everything that's wrong with you. I'll tell you what you can read to fix everything that's wrong with you, and that's the Word of God. The closer you get to God and the closer your relationship is with Him, those things, those problems are going to be taken care of because God knows exactly what you need. Those self-help books, eh, they're not, it's not like all the self-help books are bad, but they don't know your heart. They don't know what you're struggling with. They're not living books. The Word of God is a living book, and it's written by a living God, and He knows what we're going through, and He can give us the, the right 
uh, interpretation of the passage when we need that. He can focus our minds on the right thing that we need at the right time to get us out of the situation that we're in and to encourage us in the Lord. And that's what he does. Uh, these self-help books cannot do, in the, to read the entire thing can't do what the Word of God can do for you in just a few minutes. You're going through something tough, you need some encouragement, sit down and read the Bible. You can encourage yourself with the Bible, but also you can encourage yourself with your song. Now turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll explain to you what I mean by that, and, and, and hopefully you'll understand that in just a second. But Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible is pretty plain with this, but the Bible says in verse number 19, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. To the Lord. Good music, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs ministers to the Spirit. By the way, notice that he doesn't say psalms and hymns and rock songs. He says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The, the old commentator Albert Barnes said this of spiritual songs. They are odes or songs relating to spiritual things in contradistinction from these which were sung in places of festivity and revelry. Our comfort is not going to come from secular songs. And I'm not going to say that every secular song is a bad song. But our comfort doesn't come from those things. You know, you don't, it's not going to come from songs that pump you up. That might last for a moment, but it's going to end. Because that's not true encouragement. That's not encouragement from the Lord. It's not going to bring you that lasting encouragement that can get you through a difficult time, much less lift you up spiritually. I think we often forget to read the verse before Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, and we don't put it into context. But look what it says in verse number 18, the verse right before that we didn't read. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And there's a semicolon there because it continues the thought. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I don't mean this to be a, music, a lesson on music this morning, but listen to the words of the old hymns. That's why, that's one of the reasons I'm not willing to give up the hymns in favor of all this new contemporary music that's coming out today. You know, it's, it, by the way, Christian rock is not Christian. Um, you know, rock music by its very nature was meant to be the exact opposite of Christianity. Uh, if you know, and, and I'm not going to go into a whole study about rock music, but it was created, rock music was created in the words of the early pioneers of rock and roll and in the words of uh, current rock and roll musicians today as a form of rebellion against society. It was a form of rebellion against God. It was a form of rebellion against morality, and it was created to be a, a backdrop to absolute sensuality. That's why rock music was created, and that's not something to well, theorize. Go back and read what some of these guys who came up with rock music said about why they were doing the things that they were doing, Right? Uh, it was created to be a backdrop to those things. It was created not to soothe. It was created for chaos. And many of the sensual rituals that are performed today in places where they, you know, around the world are done to the heavy beat of these drums. That it's, the, it's the beat that drives the music. And that's the foundation of rock music. Just because you put Christian words to rock music doesn't all of a sudden make it a Christian song. You know, uh, Christian rock musicians often, they, 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 they so very closely mirror the world to the point that if you saw a Christian rock musician and a rock musician, even on stage, you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference between who they are. And a lot of times you can't even tell the difference in what they're singing because only every once in a while you can actually pick out the name Jesus or the word, you know, God or something like that in the song. And so 
I'm not, I'm not willing to give up the hymns in favor of something that does not please God. I'm not willing to, to make a blanket statement and say that everything that's being written today is wrong. Because there are some good songs that are being written today. And I'm not going to say that they don't have any value, but it has so little substance compared to the hymns of old. The hymns are so filled with doctrine. They're so filled with, they're so filled with things that we can gain of value from the word of God. Part of the reason why the contemporary music has taken such a, a, a huge portion of, of um, space in the Christian scene today is because Christianity uh, is because um, it, it's, it, it's honestly due to the, just the shallow doctrine and the shallow understanding of these who are writing these Christian songs today. But, but it has a lot to do with the Christians who are in the churches getting a, a, an appetite for those things and demanding that those songs be written because, well, it makes me feel good. It doesn't have anything to do with being Christian. It just makes me feel good. And it might last for a little while, but that's not going to find lasting encouragement in the Lord. An old farmer went to the city one weekend. He attended one of these big city churches, and he came home. His wife asked him how the service was, and he said, well, you know, it was, it was good. They did something different. However, they sang these praise choruses instead of hymns, and his wife said, well, what's a praise chorus? And she, he said, well, they're, they're okay. They're sort of like hymns. They're o- only different. She said, well, what's the difference? And he said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. But he said, on the other hand, if I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and white cows, the cows, cows, cows are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn. Well, that would be a praise chorus. And that's, honestly, that's exactly the difference between the hymns and the things that are being written today. They're so shallow. And maybe they have one phrase in there that, that's fine, you know. But many times, they're, that not only are they so shallow, they're actually anti-Bible. They, they, they're, they're preaching things in these messages in song that are not even biblically doctrinally, doctrinally sound. You'd be encouraged to keep singing the hymns, but also I think you'd be encouraged to look up the story behind the song. Some of the most popular hymns were written in times of the greatest tragedy. Think about this song that was written by Joseph Scriven. What should have been the happiest time in his life became one of the most tragic in his life. And it started with uh, the words from a messenger, Joseph, come quickly, something terrible has happened. And so he ran to the place where this messenger brought him. And Joseph Scriven, as a young man, was anticipating the, uh, uh, his wedding the following day. And he raced to his fiance's home only to find her family weeping and one of her Uh, one of her family members came and said, Joseph, she's dead. She drowned on the day before your wedding. You can imagine the heartache, the pain that that went through Joseph Scriven. Here he is as a 25-year-old man, and because of the pain, he ended up moving from his home city in in Dublin, Ireland, to a small community in Canada. And in 1845, Joseph Scriven left Ireland for Port Hope, Ontario. It was just a little rural village that was located near a lake, but he was a graduate of Trinity College, and uh, in Dublin, and he was able to find work as a tutor of children, and he found his calling in tutoring those kids in that little town, and he started to give away everything that he made to help feed the poor, to help bring people to Jesus Christ, to do what he can for these, these kids that were in that town that he was teaching, and the pain was just uh, so great, and, and, and while he was doing the teaching, he was able to kind of keep himself occupied, but when he was 
alone, he just found the grief so hard to handle. And in order to find further relief from that, that heartache, he started to use his time to help all those families. He, he worked with the Salvation Army. He gave away basically everything that he had. And then another tragedy struck. Because he had given away everything that he had, pretty much, he hadn't saved any money up. And sometime in 1857, he got a letter from his family in Ireland telling him that his mother was gravely ill. He didn't have enough money to go back because he had given everything away. And so he wrote his mother a letter and basically greatly distressed, greatly troubled that he wasn't willing to be with her through the illness. He just, he poured his heart out in prayer. And during that time, alone with God, a transformation took place in his own life. And that burden of anxiety over his mother lifted. And he got just such a great peace that flooded his life. And during that time of prayer, he was deeply inspired to write the words that he just penned as a little poem for his mother. And he sent that letter over to his mother, and in it were the words, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. He titled that poem, Pray Without Ceasing, and he enclosed it in his letter to his mother. Just before his 40th birthday, Joseph Scriven actually found someone who became the love of his life again, and he was engaged to be married. But again, his life was shattered because Elijah, Eliza, this lady to whom he was about to be married, contracted tuberculosis and died before they could even be married. And you can imagine what that did to him with the pain and the grief that was just thrust upon him the second time. He, he actually devoted himself even more to the service of others. Friends described him this way. They said this, He considered the needs of others more urgent than his own and gave his entire income to their cause. Now, he was... This is way back in the 1850s and 60s, but he was associated with the Plymouth Brethren. And so Scriven actually was a preacher, and he, he went around, he traveled in kind of a circuit and filled their pulpits. And on August 10th of 1886, sadly, he stumbled and he fell into a small stream and he drowned. And his life came to an end, but he had such, he was held in such high esteem that the people of that area erected a monument in his honor. And on that monument, it says this, Four miles north in Pengelly Cemetery lies the philanthropist and author of the great masterpiece written at Port Hope, 1857. The inscription is followed by the three stanzas of Joseph Scriven's hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Now, that's a sad story, obviously, but what a tremendous song was born out of great tra tragedy. And it wasn't clear exactly how that poem actually got published, but it did. And Ira Sankey who was the song leader for, for D.L. Moody on his evangelistic crusade, somehow got a hold of that song. And he, he started to put together a song book, and so he had a gospel hymns number one. And the very last song that he put in that book was, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And Ira Sankey himself came, uh, and, and as he started to, to see the, this, this poem gain popularity, he said this, A neighbor sitting up with Scriven during an illness happened upon a manuscript copy of What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Reading it with great delight and questioning Mr. Scriven about it, Mr. Scriven said he had composed it for his mother to comfort her in a time of special sorrow, not intending that anyone else should ever see it. 
Sometime later, when another neighbor asked him if it was true that he had composed a hymn, his reply was, the Lord and I did it between us. And later on, Ira Sankey would say, the last hymn that went into the book became one of the first in favor. Scriven's hymn became well-known everywhere. It was just a favorite among Christians. It's, it's included in all of our hymnals and everything else. Most people don't know the story behind how that song was written. But out of great tragedy, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. It doesn't end there. A lady by the name of Mary Cushman had her life transformed by those very words. She had gotten into a difficult situation during the Depression. Her husband was just earning $18 a week, and that was very sporadic. It was never enough to feed and clothe their family, and so after a series of accidents and illnesses that prevented her husband from working, the family lost the little house that they had. They owed $50 down at the grocery store, and they couldn't even come up with a few pennies to start to pay that off. And her son was accused of stealing a couple pencils from that grocery store, and he wept bitterly, told his mother about it. She knew that he was very honest and that he wouldn't do something like that anyway, but he, he said over and over and over that he didn't take these pencils. And she knew that he had probably been humiliated in front of everybody there in that grocery store, and I, they surmised that it was probably just the fact that they owed the money and the storekeeper was trying to get back at the family for it. But she was consumed with worry, she was consumed with frustration, and that became the final blow to her spirit. And so she went into her house, and she took her young daughter, who was five years old at the time, went up to a bedroom, and she sealed all the windows and the cracks and everything else, and she turned on the little gas heater that was in the room and didn't light it. And that gas started to fill up through that room. She was intending to take her own life and the life of her daughter at the same time so that she wouldn't have to live on her own. And then something caught her ear. She heard the radio playing downstairs, and she started to listen a little bit more intently, and sure enough, somebody was singing, to the, sing, singing the words to, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And the words of that song struck her heart so deeply that she got up off of that bed, and she turned off that gas, and she said, I'll never forget the smell of that gas. She went down the stairs and she listened as, the, as that singer sang the rest of that song. She realized that she had made a tragic mistake. She said this, I've tried to fight all my terrible battles alone. I had not taken everything to God in prayer. She said, I wept and prayed all the rest of that day, only I didn't pray for help. Instead, I poured out my soul in thanksgiving to God for the blessings he had given me. Five splendid children, all of them healthy and fine, strong in body and mind. I promised God that never again would I prove so ungrateful. And I have kept that promise. More than a century later, Scriven's hymn has continued to touch people's lives. A song that was born out of great tragedy. A song that was born when he was going through a tough, difficult time. And I'm not going to say that songs are not written like that today. Because I know that people go through difficult times and they write songs. But that's why I'm not willing to give up the old hymns. There's so much value in them. There's so much doctrine in them. There's so much encouragement in them. You can encourage yourself with your Bible. You can encourage yourself with your song. Last, uh, number three, and we'll go quickly here, but number three is you can encourage yourself with your schedule. Now, what do I mean by that? One of the hardest things to do when you're going through a difficult time when you're going through a trial, is to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep moving forward. It's difficult. 
But that's exactly what I mean by this point. Just do what you're supposed to do. Be where you're supposed to be. Just continue on with your schedule. And I'm not saying that, you know, you can't take time to grieve or, or whatever else if you're, if you're grieving the loss of somebody. But many times, it's not the grieving the loss. It's just that we're, we start to feel sorry for ourselves because, oh, things aren't going the way that I want them to go. Things aren't as easy as I thought they were going to be. Life's difficult. Life's rough. So I'm just going to go sit in a corner and pout. Oh, one of the ways that we can encourage ourselves is just to keep going. We all know that bad days don't last forever. We all know that, that they're going to come to an end. So stay in your spot. Continue serving God. Continue serving in your ministries. Continue going out on visitation. Continue telling other people about Jesus Christ. Those are the things continuing to serve God. Sitting in a corner and pouting about your situation is not going to make things easier, and it's certainly not going to be an encouragement to you. If you've lost somebody, certainly take the time to grieve. We've all been through that. My father-in-law just passed away. It's a difficult time. It's hard to go through the loss of somebody. But get back to serving God. There's no greater encouragement than to just get back to doing what you're supposed to do. Just get back to living for God the way that God wants you to live for him. That's one of the greatest things that you can do as an encouragement. You can encourage yourself with your Bible. You can encourage yourself with your song. You can encourage yourself with your schedule. But lastly, turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. You can encourage yourself with your conversation. Your first conversation on the road to encouragement should be with your Savior. You know why? He's been about as low as you can go. He died on a cross for something that he never did. Oh, I can imagine how low somebody would feel if they got in prison for a crime that they didn't commit. You'd have to feel like this is the absolute worst place that I could ever be, right? But Jesus Christ did that, and not only did he do it, he did it willingly. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our first conversation on the road to encouraging ourselves ought to be with Jesus Christ. He's been there before. He knows what we're going through because he's gone through it himself. And he says, come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in time of need. That's an encouragement. So the next step should be to talk to your spouse or to your pastor. Be careful not to talk too much about your troubles, lest you discourage other people, lest you give ammunition to the enemy. But that's why it's so important to be in a good church. That's why it's so important that you keep a good relationship with your husband or with your wife. That's why it's so important to surround yourselves with other faithful, like-minded, godly friends. That's why it's important to be in the places where God wants you to be because those things can be an encouragement to you. If you are where you are supposed to be, then God will put the right people in the place that they need to be in so that they can be an encouragement to you. When those troublesome days invade our lives and they're going to come, we have to be like David, who in 1 Samuel chapter 30 encouraged himself in the Lord. Encourage yourself with your Bible. Go there first. You don't need to find all the self-help books about how to get out of depression or how to beat anxiety and all of these other kind of things. Go to your Bible. Read the Word of God. That's an encouragement. That'll get you out of depression. That'll, get, that'll, that'll push away the anxiety. Read the Bible. Encourage yourself with your song. There's plenty of good God-honoring music that can greatly help your spirit. If you need help finding some, I can make lots of good suggestions for you. But encourage yourself. 
by listening to those good, godly songs. Encourage yourself with your schedule. Just keep going for God. And encourage yourself by your conversation. Go to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer. Carry everything to him first. Oh, well, we've done everything we could. Now the only thing left to do is pray. No, it should be that you prayed first, and you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and now we've prayed, so now the only thing left to do is to figure out how we're going to get out of the situation. Go to God in prayer. Have a conversation with him, and then rely on those that he's put in your life. There's going to be low points in your life, just like there's high points in your life. We always enjoy the good times. We enjoy the, the high points, but there's going to come times when we hit the lows. And when you get a low, may we all find encouragement in the Lord. May we find that encouragement that he wants us to have. Look, there's nobody that wants you to keep going for God more than he wants you to keep going for him. Don't you think he wants you to be encouraged? Don't you think he wants you to keep going for him? Don't you think he wants you to keep moving for him? Well, that's why he's given us these verses in the word of God on how we can encourage ourselves. We want to keep doing what he wants us to do. When we let those lows stop us, the devil wins. The devil wins. Are you going to go through difficult times? Absolutely. Are times going to be rough? Absolutely. They don't last forever. And we can encourage ourselves in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the time that we can spend together in your word. I thank you for the examples that we have in the word of God. I thank you for the verses that we have in the word of God that can be an encouragement to us. And if there is somebody that's going through difficult times, God, I pray that you would help them to be encouraged in you this morning. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You know, I didn't read the rest of the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 30. But David did go to God about that whole situation. He asked God if he should pursue after that troop. He asked God if he should overtake them. And God told him, pursue, go after them. And you know what happened? They overtook the enemy. They got everything back. They thought their world had come to an end. They thought life was over. Their families were gone. Their things were gone. Everything that they had lived for was gone. And yet, David encourages himself in the Lord. He goes to God in prayer. And he got everything back. Things got better. And they always do. But we ought to be like David. Use his example to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Go to the Lord in prayer. He wants to help you. He wants to help you. And I, say, I said at the beginning that this message is for everyone this morning because even though you might not have just come out of a difficult time or you might not be in the middle of a difficult time, but you're going to, you're going to. And I hope and pray that you remember to encourage yourself in the Lord when those times come. As the piano plays, the invitation is open. If God's spoken to your heart this morning, you can come.